HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This week on Heritage Radio Network's Meet and Three, we're spilling secrets. Do you know what is in that makes it banned? I do not, other than it being a proprietary blend of something that's supposed to be performance-enhancing. If you go through the drive through in reverse, so your car is fully backwards, you get a free chocolate shake. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Help the people who help Oaxaca. Since 2009, Seconda has been supporting Oaxaca's underserved communities. Almost 5,000 people annually see their lives improved by this Mexican NGO. They've built and stocked six green libraries and four rain harvest hygiene stations, benefiting around 800 children and youth. And they've provided training and business coaching for over 120 female entrepreneurs. And much of that work has been done with the recycler communities that have grown around the garbage dump sites in Zachila. All of that, really, is just the tip of an ever-growing iceberg. They've also supported legislation and implemented localized trainings designed to prevent sexual violence against girls and youth, eliminate child labor, forced labor, and violations of labor rights in Mexico's sugarcane and coffee sectors, and address the causes of gender inequality. And their small staff has done all of this without ever having offices of their own. For the past 13 years, Seconda has been hosted within the premises of a local bakery, a very kind gift from a very good corporation. But Seconda now needs their own home. They've acquired a plot of land and found an architectural firm, Sands Pond Architectura, willing to donate their time to develop plans. Now we need to raise the money to make those plans a reality. The cost of these new offices is around $100,000 U.S. They've received a matching grant from 818 Tequila that will cover half of that if we can raise the other $50,000. Seconda has done so much to help so many. We're asking you now to help Seconda. Help them build offices that will enable them to continue their existing work and to expand their programs that make Mexico more just and equitable. 
Make your fully tax-deductible contributions for Seconda at buildoaxaca.com. That's buildoaxaca.com. And thanks. Bank. I am Chaparivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps green gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today we're talking about something that I, uh, well, I, I love academic papers, and I was going through <laughs> uh, a paper about linguistics and the origin of words in Mexico. And I'm, I'm sorry. Hang on a second. We go grab some coffee. I'm gonna like just that sentence alone is putting me to sleep. I know. I know. It's gonna it's gonna end really quick. We're gonna get to more entertaining oh, okay. uh, like okay. area quickly. And in one of the things that I found, there was this amazing extract of a letter that Hernán Cortés wrote to the King Carlos V. Her, her, the thir- Hernán Cortés is that one of your cousins? Maybe. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, not not a cause, not a direct costume, but you know, I uh, have a long lineage, a, li- a big family, and this was written on the 30th of October of 1520, and it says this. <laughs> Here it goes, Lou. Let's see. Let's Wait, see so, what you- so is it is it important to know this was the day before Halloween or not? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Okay, here it goes. Let's yeah. see what you catch. Let's see what, what makes some uh, noise to you here. Okay. So he's describing a market and he says, They sell bees, honey, and wax, and honey made with corn, which is as sweet and mellow as sugarcane sugar. Honey from a plant that is in the other islands they call maguey, that is so much better than grape syrup, and from these plants they make sugar and wine. They sell that too. Are you telling me that there was corn syrup back in the 1500s? <laughs> Am I hearing that right? There was pulque syrup. Yeah, but there's like there was agave syrup and corn syrup. Well, the, 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 the <laughs> corn syrup shocks me more than the agave syrup. What? No, no, it really does. So, um, uh, the the piece of that that shocks me is agave syrup to me is sort of the the natural byproduct like it just happens you don't even have to cook the agave to get the syrup well, well you you can you can <laughs> but my point is like you just start like you start making pulque and we know they had been right like and and you're just naturally going to end up with syrup sap coming out of the agave plant but but corn like I thought you had to do all sorts of crazy and I know this is not where you wanted to go but this is literally what spoke to me is I thought you had to do all sorts of crazy processing to get syrup out of corn. Well, I have no idea how they do so-called natural corn syrup. I don't think I've ever tried that in Mexico. Yeah, I I Well, well, well they, they they have a few candies. They have like uh some pastries that are sweet ba- like sweet corn pastries, but I always assume they will add extra sugar to it. Oh. I don't know. Anyway, that's the first thing that strikes me. Okay. What's, what's the thing that strikes you that well, besides I, the okay? We know that you like the fact that there is there is base, basic. Is it aguamiel or is it something different? Well, that, that's. I mean, he doesn't go into absolute detail, but they were making. They didn't have sugar cane when the Spaniards arrived here, so a lot of their sweet things were coming via agave. So it might have been cooked agave or it might be like cooked agave that then was reduced into sugars 
or maybe just the agua miel that was cooked and, and made sugar from it. The other thing that really calls my attention yeah. is that Hernan Cortés is describing a market. And the narrative that we usually listen around Pulque is that, oh, it was only for the royalty. Ooh. It was only for... Oh, exactly, that's an right? interesting point. So if this was such an exclusive product that was reserved for ceremonial purposes, what the hell is it being sold in the market? In the Zócalo of Mexico was the most anti-royal, more like most common people's plan. Well, well hang, okay, so hang on a second. So let's, let's step back. So you... I've certainly heard people say it was used in ceremonies, but I've never heard people saying, well, I mean, I've honestly never paid much attention, never saying that it was exclusive to ceremonies. Are you saying that this is something that you have read or? Yeah, that's a very common narrative that it was, that was a very exclusive product. And that, uh, I mean, there's even the Florentine Codex describes that drunkness was sanctioned. But the way that I like to think about this is, you know, when I was in high school, if you were to read the manuals for conduct in my school, they were rather strict, oh, where they were actually then, enforced, not quite so right, much. Then and, you, you end up at Xochimilco with your... Yeah, like so I think every culture in the written papers, official papers, loves to have high standards of morality. And then how are they really enforced is doesn't, like, doesn't quite match those a lot of times. So I think that's why we, we have access to those Codexes. Yeah. So the other thing that really calls my attention is that when Hernán Cortés is talking about maguey, he says the word he, he uses the word maguey, and he talks about a plant that he has seen in the other islands, and he's referring to the Caribbean. And what the whole point about this article that I found is that the word maguey is not Mexican. It comes from the Caribbean. It was used to name aloes. And at the time, they were not, I mean, this is the theory. And at the time, the eyes of these explorers were not careful enough not to realize that aloe and maguey were not the same plant. And we've been talking about magueyes, thinking it's a Mexican word. Well, it's a Taino word. The real, well, the Nahuatl word that this guy says was more common in this country was melchonte. Well, so the the piece of this that confuses me is the word that I always see uh, popping up as the ancient word is metal, right? M E T L. Yeah, like, uh, and that's like that, that's why mezcal. It's uh, cooked agave. It's uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, what's the difference between that word and the the funny word you just said? <laughs> oh no, no, actually, sorry, I I misread my own uh, my own note. So, in this was in the north of Mexico, in Sinaloa, the word was melchonte. Which you can actually, like, you can see where metal would be. Yeah, 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 and that, that, yeah. And that, that was more in the center, I'm guessing. Yeah. But he, like, this guy is talking about all this cultural exchange that happened via the conquerors that were collecting words from all these places they were visiting. Huh. So it turns out that even the way mezcal early on and a lot of the tools and elements that it was used to, to be produced was already the, the, the mix of cultures. Okay. Are you following me? Like, I, I, I am. You know, it's my, my head is going in a place that I think you won't be interested in. Okay. Well, like, still try it. Try, okay. Try my mind. So this weekend at the uh, at the the event uh, Copitas de Sol and National yeah, Museum of Mexican Art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Organized. Yeah. Um, I was speaking with a couple of people about mezcal, mm-hmm. and they stopped me and they said, "Is that how you pronounce it?" Right. And we've got the whole episode that's just about pronunciations. Um, and they said, because I've always said mezcal. And uh, this is what this woman said to me. And the what I said to her was, you know what? Like, 
when I say tamale, it drives Chava nuts, and it's it not does. what they it say does. in Mexico. But in Mexico, they also don't say Mexico. They say Mexico or Mexico. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Mexico. Mexico. <laughs> Come on. Look, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> they say they say Mexico, right? And and the point that I was trying to make to her was like say it however it's going to communicate to the person to whom you're communicating the thing that you want. And and don't don't be inhibited by I don't want to get it wrong. Hmm. And 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 so I think maybe there's a connection here to this where like, okay, so maybe the word maguey isn't historically Mexican. It comes from the Caribbean. Um, but it translated. It moved over and people understood that as the thing. And so is that wrong? Yeah, and I think like I'm. I mean, I'm interested in this part of language because I think it's representative and also what happened with the technologies that were traveling. I lately cool. I, I have been a little bit uh, annoyed by uh, by a lot of people. You know, like when you're talking about internal capturation steels, yeah. what are I guess commonly called Filipino steels these days everybody just goes like yeah because the Filipinos came to Mexico and they <laughs> brought the alambic and that's uh, like like if it was an accepted fact like if it was right. uh, yeah absolutely yeah that, that was that uh, happened like a in those galleons that were coming to Mexico from the Philippines yeah that was a tremendously international cruise can right. you imagine the amount of different people that was in those ships? That was the one ticket to get to the Americas from Asia back then. So there was uh-huh. Chinese, there was Mongolians, there was Koreans, there was Japanese, there were Filipinos. Probably the least of them were Filipinos, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then in terms of distillation, you have all the European influences in this land. You had the understanding of how to, to, to ferment grapes and do wine, how to do beer, how to distill brandies. So you had this colliding cultures getting to Mexico and sometimes like sometimes expressing themselves in the way that mezcal is being made. So if that happened with language, I really think that also happened with the technologies that were here. And all I'm trying to suggest with this quote that I found yeah. is that, you know, like, please, 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 when you're explaining internal capturation steals, don't just say that the Filipinos came here and gave us that. Because that's, A, not completely accepted. It's actually most possible that it was it's more Mongolian technology ah. that traveled to the Philippines and I, I'm going to try to get us an interview with uh, someone that did a really detailed study oh. uh, on, on this yeah. um, because it seems that the Mongolians were the first ones that were really interested in widespread use of, of distilled drinks mm-hmm. because they were traveling all around and their, their fermented drinks could go bad so they needed a stable alcohol to, to travel around. Oh. And uh, so maybe a lot of the distillation technologies that, I, that we're calling Filipinos are, are actually more Mongolian than, uh, than yeah, like Southeast, uh, Southeastern. And I guess like Roy is going to be very uh, annoyed about this episode because I don't think there's quite a conclusion to it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I guess like, it's, uh, and, and this was like what we say in Mexico, a popurri had a little bit of everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny, throughout this, this episode, this recording, I've been thinking, how the hell am I going to title this and what's the description going to look like? Well, you know, I 
I'm gonna try to do more of these exercises and, and they're slightly exhausting because finding actual documents that the conquerors were writing to communicate what's happening in Mexico, uh, they're, I don't have access to originals, but I'm realizing that a lot of researchers are using this in their own articles. And it's like a more digested way in which I can, I, I can find things that maybe don't make a lot of sense for what this researcher is trying to find, but because we have this bizarre specialty that it's agave spirits, yeah. suddenly makes sense for, for, for us. And I think conclusion number one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pulque was for the masses. Yeah, Possibly and you know what? It's, it's interesting. Like I, I'd already forgotten that point, and I think that is a very vital point. If that really does conflict with the, with you know, the, the general narrative. Yeah. Well, yes, and I might get crucified by this, but I believe pulque was for the masses. Point number two, mezcal is a textbook example of intense cultural appropriation. <laughs> Huh, okay, okay. <laughs> From the language to the technologies is the most uh, mischievous usage of third parties' technologies and approaches to convert fermented drinks into alcohol. <laughs> I, I don't think I would say most, but it was certainly it well, was yeah, certainly yeah. that. It's it's a good offender. Yeah. And number three, it's like you know, like, and and I've been saying this more and more. But I think getting an ultra-nationalist approach to agave spirits is the worst thing that we can do. Because it was it started as an international phenomenon. Okay. You know, okay. so so it's like yeah, just being nationalistic about something. About, about, that's about something that started as a as a world phenomena, yeah. I think it's just absolutely silly. And I think that if if this was the origin of agave spirits, then it should continue to be its will. Okay, I like that. Can I have a conclusion? Maybe. Okay. My conclusion would be, it turns out that the the Coca-Cola that's gray marketed up here that's so good because it's made with sugar cane is actually not part of Mexican cultural heritage. That it turns out it should be made with corn syrup because corn syrup is more cultural to Mexico. If you look back historically at Mexico, it's more it's more historical than uh, sugar cane. Love it. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Let's wrap it at that, Chava. Okay, Señor Lu, adiosito. Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lu Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. A Gabby Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. A Gabby Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the Food 
world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.